hear these words from the book that we love. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh in everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation." But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a woman that was very close to my family growing up named Pam. She was my mother's best friend. And when she was growing up, she had a beautiful singing voice. And she was in uh, college training to be a, a vocalist. She was a voice major and also to be an uh, educator music educator, and while she was studying as a vocal major, she was in a terrible car accident, and uh, she ended up going through the windshield of the car, and her larynx, her voice box, was crushed. And I met her when she was like 50, decades on, and the first thing you notice is this deep rasp. Like any time she even talks, like saying the most simple things, hello, and um, we just got used to it, of course, because she, she's just Pam. She's around. She's my mother's best friend. But I was with her a few times when she met people for the first time. And there's no hiding from it. It was, I remember one time, it was winter, and she said, um, <laughs> she said hello, 
and introduced herself, and the person she was being introduced to said, oh, I've got a, I've got a bad cold, but yours sounds terrible. <laughs> and, and, and I just realized, this is like every day for the rest of her life. This wound, she can't get away from. And she's got a story it somehow. She's like, there was my life. I had this dream. This happened. She actually still was a music educator when I met her in her 50s. Um, and many other, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot more to her story, but it was this, this redirection in the story arc of her story that is now everywhere present in her life. Similar, very different, but on a similar thread story that Glenn shared with me this morning. If any of you got to go to Movement Day uh, that Terry Davis announced uh, last Sunday when he came to give an announcement, um, Glenn McDowell was there, and um, a 15-year-old girl from Epiphany Fellowship in North Philadelphia stood up, and she shared a testimony, and it wasn't a testimony of how things were going well or how she came to faith necessarily, but she said, my testimony is that I've had a migraine headache, a terrible migraine headache for 416 days in a row, and uh, I've been on 15 different types of medication, and nothing has helped, but then she went into reasons why she still was able to praise God. So whatever she was, you know, 13 and a half or 14 when this started, here she is in the middle of this story arc of her life um, with this inexplicable pain. And it's forming the story of her life. One way or another, and we, we know which way it's storying her life, it's in a, in a direction of strength, like against all odds. In Scripture, there are many wounds that tell stories, and they're, they're often foreshadowed even before they happen. There's one um, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. It says something fascinating. It's talking about Christ, and it refers to Christ, who is, of course, crucified. You know, there's, there's those wounds, which are like the center of the whole scriptural story. But it says, Christ is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. There are many mysteries in that sentence. Christ is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Here's just one thing that it means. One thing that it means. It means that there was a cross in the heart of God before there was ever a cross outside of Jerusalem in 33 A.D., and that means that the cross of Jesus, the wounds of Jesus, weren't, weren't really a redirection of the story that the church had to make new meaning of. I mean, they definitely, I mean, the apostles, everybody who had been following him, all of his disciples, were like, okay, how are we going to make meaning of this? Is his death end of his resurrection? But more than a redirection of the story that led to new meaning, it was something that history was aiming for all along. It was there from the beginning. The wound of Christ didn't create this story. It brought the story God was already telling to a culminating moment. Something like that is happening here in the book of Genesis. Back in Genesis 12, we've been walking with the story of Abraham. So uh, Abraham, Abraham comes on the scene at the end of Genesis 11. He starts getting explained. His actions start being described at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. And, and God... Uh, gives Abram this promise. We could say uh, God gives Abram this big story 
of his reality and really the future reality of the world. It's a big story to live out of, but there's little detail on the front end. The big story is, he says, Abram, I want you to go to the land that I'm going to show you, and when you get there, I'm going to bless you, but it's not going to be for your own sake. It's going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the world. And he just starts living it out. And as the story goes on and on and on, we're five chapters deep now, how is this going to happen? How is this story of hope, what are the details? We've got the big story arc, but how is this going to work out in Abraham's life and in the life of the world? And we find out, or we're finding out as we read along, you know how it's happening? You know how God's blessing the world by blessing Abraham? In large part, it's primarily through Abram's own transformation. Abram is being changed into the kind of man through whom God can bless the world. I don't know if you've noticed the stumbling along the way so far, but it's not been casual. It's not been by the way. There's lots of other narratives that could be included. It's because these wounds, wounds that Abram endures are forming him into the kind of man through whom God can bless the world. It happens through wounding. And here, verse 1. Chapter 17, verse 1, the Lord says to Abram, this simple but really, if you think about it, this impossible phrase. He just says, I want you to walk with me. It's the first time he says that to Abram. Abram, he hasn't heard from him, as best we can tell, in an audible or visual way. It seems like it's actually a visual revelation. God hasn't had this kind of encounter with Abram or Abram with God in about 13 years. God shows up, says, walk with me. Remember, here's why that's such a significant phrase. A big question in Scripture so far is, how in the world are sinful humans going to walk with God again? That was happening at the beginning. Sin comes in brokenness, betrayal, murder soon, until every thought of every human being was only evil continually. That's the language of Genesis 6 forward. How are we going to walk with God again? How are we going to dwell with God? How are we going to walk with God? You know, across Scripture, God is described as a consuming fire. How do you walk with a consuming fire? If you walk with a consuming fire, that's what's being said here. Abram, walk with the consuming fire. If you're going to walk with a consuming fire, one of two things is going to happen. On the one hand, you get consumed by it. You get destroyed by it. Or... You become flame, and you walk with God, the consuming fire. That's what Pentecost is all about, by the way, right? After Christ comes, covers, cleanses, forgives by his cross, and raises and is ascended, he sends the Holy Spirit, and it rests like tongues of fire on all of his saints. What's he saying? My people are now by the Spirit sealed in being made like me. I'm consuming fire, and here are my flames. That's Pentecost. Walk with me. It's very similar to what Jesus says in John 15, where he says, abide with me. John 15, same thing as Genesis 17, where he says, walk with me. Abide with me. He says, I am a vine, you're a branch. How does a branch abide with a vine in a way that bears fruit? Well, there's going to be some pruning. 
to give more life to come out of it. How's, how's somebody going to walk with a consuming fire? Become flame. So what am I saying? Either through pruning, choose your, choose your metaphor, either through pruning or refining fire, you're going to walk with him. You're going to become like him. It's a glorious, blessed process, but oh my goodness, they're, you're going to be formed to be like him. There's going to be some wounds along the way. Holy wounds will come, and love, believe it or not, is what brings them. Genesis 17 is a story about a literal wound, kind of a famous one. Circumcision, not easy to talk about. It's a wound, first of all, and that's not an accident. But remember, it's not the first wound that Abram has received. Foremost in Abram's life, there's the wound of just waiting. He's, nine, he's 99. Uh, you know, we've got a nonagenarian in the room. <laughs> and you, you might think that by the time you're in the 90s, like God's main work might be done in your life. But not so. He's 99. He got called when he was 75, and he's been waiting for decades for this to get worked out. Why did it have to take his whole life? You know, Abram is called in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul, the man of faith. And he's called the man of faith because he is the model of what life is like in the decades of waiting. It's not to say, he's, by saying he's the model of faith, it's not saying he is perfect by any means. It's saying, when you say somebody's the model, it's saying his journey is ours. Our faith journey will be just like Abram's. It'll be formed. Why does it take so long? Here's why. Here's why it has to take so long for Abram. Because he has to discover all of the ways that he does not actually trust God. You trust me. What happens when he's faced with famine and with murderous opposition in Egypt? He doesn't build an altar. Altar building, altar building, altar building. He goes to Egypt, no altar. God brings him out, then he builds an altar again. Can you trust me? He has to find out that he doesn't trust God. By the way, God relates to him through this kind of, <laughs> kind of going outside the bounds here to fulfill God's promise for him by having a child with somebody who's not his wife, Ishmael. Another example of how he's not trusting God. The wounds in Abram's life show Abram that Abram really trusts Abram. In a lot of ways, that's the story so far, interspersed with great moments of faith that God commends. God is gradually uncovering the buried truth that Abram trusts Abram. And very patiently, incredibly patiently, he shows him. And so it will be with you and with me. There's no getting around it. His journey is ours. And there's mercy and grace and patience and forgiveness all along the way. The best illustration I've ever heard of how this works out in the Christian life, this pruning, this refining that leads to the glory that he, don't, he, don't, he doesn't just intend, he will have in our lives. The true freedom, the true blessedness that we were created for all the way at the beginning when we're called the likeness of God, it's going to happen. It's not comfortable, but it's beautiful. Best illustration is in C.S. Lewis's book, 
The Great Divorce, which I think one of the small groups of our church read a few years ago. And it's an illustration of, well, it's fiction. It's not, strictly speaking, theology, this book, The Great Divorce, but it's about a busload of people who go on a journey to look at a look at different stories in the lives of people who are in this purgatory place. It's like, it's fictional, but it's like, it's like they're in this in-between afterlife where they could choose heaven if they even wanted to, but most of them have no desire to. And there's this one scene where these travelers see this guy, and they describe him as a ghost because he's, he's barely his, the semblance of his former self when he was alive. But he's got this lizard on his shoulder. He's got this lizard on his shoulder that's whispering into his ear and really tormenting him. And the guy can't seem to get rid of him. And this ghost guy with a lizard on his shoulder is approached by an angel. And I'll just give you the dialogue. You tell me what it means. This ghost comes to the man and says, Would you like me to take care of that lizard on your shoulder. Would you like me to make him quiet? Said the flaming spirit, an angel, as it seemed to be. Of course I would, said the ghost. Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. Oh, look out, you're burning me, keep away. Said the ghost, retreating. Well, don't you want him killed? You didn't say anything about killing him at first. I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? Well, that's a further question. I'm quite open to consider it, but it's a new point, isn't it? I mean, for the moment, I was only thinking about silencing because up here, well, it's all just so embarrassing. May I kill it? The angel said. Well, there's time to discuss that later. There is no time. May I kill it? Please, I, I never meant to be such a nuisance. Really, don't bother. Look, it's gone to sleep <laughs> of its own accord. I'm sure it's all going to be all right now. Thanks ever so much. May I kill it? Honestly, I don't think there's the slightest necessity for that. I'm sure I'll be able to keep it in order now. I think the gradual process would be far better than killing it. The gradual process is of no use at all. Well, don't you think so? Well, I think I'll think over what you're saying. Honestly, I will. In fact... I'd let you kill it now, but as a matter of fact, I'm not feeling frightfully well today. It'd be silly to do it now. I'll need to be in good health for the operation. Some other day, perhaps. There is no other day. All days are present now. Get back. You're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you killed it. It is not so. Well, you're hurting me now. I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. Oh, I know, you think I'm a coward, but it's not that. Really, it isn't. I say, let me run back to the bus and get an opinion from my own doctor. I'll come again the first moment I can. This moment contains all moments. Why are you torturing me? You're jeering at me. How can I let you tear me to pieces? If you wanted to help me, why didn't you kill the damn thing without asking me before I knew? It would all be over by now if you had. I cannot kill it against your will. It is impossible have I your permission? The angel's hands were almost closed on the lizard, but not quite. Then the lizard began chattering to the ghost so loud that I could even hear what it was saying. Be careful, the lizard says. He can do what he says. He can kill me, 
one fatal word from you and he will, then you'll be without me forever and ever. How could you live? Have I your permission? Said the angel to the ghost. I know it will kill me. It won't. But what if it did? You're right, the ghost said. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Then may I? Damn and blast you. <laughs> Go on, can't you? Get it over with. Do what you like, bellowed the ghost, but ended whimpering. God help me. God help me. The next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony such as I never heard on earth. The burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it, and while it bit and writhed, and then flung it broken-backed on the turf. For a moment, nothing happened. And then I saw, unmistakably solid but growing every moment, solider. The ghost now had an upper arm and the shoulder of a man. He grew brighter and still stronger, legs and hands. His neck and golden head materialized while I watched the actual completing and restoration of a man, an immense man, not much smaller than the angel. I know that was long, folks, but I think it's absolutely beautiful. He means by his love to heal you. I, I heard um, somebody say to Eugene Peterson once, um, I really like your sermon. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, um, I feel like you've got only one. <laughs> and in some ways, um, in the last few years, I feel like this is my only one. Because I've seen so many of you over the years, not much good happens quick. Um, but, but a lot of the times, there's just this build up to an all at once moment and a setting free. And I just think that that story pictures it. And what I want you to see in the story of Abraham is, uh, there's all of these struggles that build up to Genesis 17. And in a lot of ways, it's similar to what's come before, if you've been tracking closely. There's covenant promises, children, land, blessing. How is this very different than Genesis 15 everywhere? Well, the wound says it all. It's this culminating moment that for the history of Israel forward, they repeat this wound, this circumcision wound, which, by the way, as weird as it is, is anything but random. Think about it. He's cutting Abraham's genitals. What does that mean? Well, it's pretty darn serious, right? <laughs> like, no messing around. But secondly, think about this. The promise is about Abram's offspring, right? This is the offspring organ. And it's a mark. It's a mark. We are blushing. They weren't blushing. It's a fitting sign that marks what God is going to do with and through his offspring. And it seems to finally, at the age of 99, bring this man to a new place. How do we know that? Because this is the place, not the many times that God's repeated it up until now, this is the place where his name gets changed. That says all we need to know about what's going on in the man's heart as well as his genitals. <laughs> Forgive me for the phrase. <laughs> I mean, it's going to get weird at some point, right? We're talking about circumcision. 
the guy gets a name change. And if you're familiar with the story of Scripture, this is just the beginning of the biblical theme of changing names when people are actually transformed or on a heart level. And they find the penny doesn't drop just up here. In living, in enduring the wound, something, something shifts. As best we can tell, this is even almost where we, we know he's had a type of faith before that God honored and even called righteous. But this is really Abram's conversion moment. Same with us. As we cling to God, making us into the type of people that he intends for us to be, there will be a lot of wrestling that leads to a surrender. This is Jacob's story, if you know Jacob's story. After 20 years, he learned patience and humility, then at a night-long wrestling match with God himself, finally receives the homecoming blessing that he's been promised for all those years. But there's a wound that comes out of it. Do you remember? He's wrestling with God. What are you doing? Why do I have to go through all this? Just bring your promise at last. Bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Wound, new name. New name. Finally, you cried out, Lord, have mercy before the sunrise. And it's yours. And what's your name now, Jacob? Your name is struggles with God. That's what Israel means. Think this faith is a cakewalk? Yeah, it's all of mercy and grace. That doesn't mean it's easy to live a life of expecting mercy and grace moment by moment. Struggles with God. That's Israel's name. That's your name too, by the way. The Apostle Paul says, you know what your name is, church? New Israel. He says that at the end of the letter of Galatians. You're just the new Israel. Your name is still struggles with God. Let me land like this, folks. Well, let me end with a question. I wonder what took the joy from you this week in your woundedness, in living the woundedness of this city, of your family, of your sicknesses, of your disappointments, of your recognizing your own sins. What made you want to hide your face, blame someone else, struggle by your own strength, double down in your trust of you and you alone? I got to tell you, folks, the trouble in this life that tempts you to despair will never go away. Now, you need that whole phrase. Let me say it again. The trouble in this life that tempts you to despair will never go away, not today and not when you're 99. It's never going to stop. There is not a day coming. Don't wait for this day unless you're thinking about the day when you pass through this life. There is not a day coming when the news will not reach for your attention and try to convince you that things are worse than you thought. That will keep happening. Some things will be improved. Some things will be transformed. But all you'll have to do is turn your head and see something else demanding your attention to look at how pathetic and awful it is. You will be tempted under your last, until your last breath to fix the eyes of your heart on the impossibility surrounding us about what God can't do. To not abide with him, to not walk with him. 
You can be sure of that. Isn't it nice to know there's some things you don't have to wonder about? That will never stop. But what is God doing in the midst of it? Here's something else you don't have to wonder about. Whatever else is going on in your life, when you ask the question, what are you doing? Here is always an answer. Always. God is lovingly doing the work of forming you by degrees into what you will be with him eternally. Whatever else is going on, God is lovingly doing the work of forming you by degrees into what you will be with him eternally. And he's not just doing it to you. He's doing it with you. He's saying, walk with me. And you can expect with all the temptations of the shouting, despair, despair, curse God and die, going on all around, all around you until the day you die, you can expect that actually there will be joy and peace and all the fruits of the Spirit along the way because he's pulling you through it all, making you like himself. And it's actually that nonsense around us, that despair around us, that keeps driving us back to him. Is there anyone in the room who honestly thinks they wouldn't be clinging to Christ if he didn't make them cling to him once in a while by their circumstances? Seeing none, I'll end with this. This is the story where God only gives more of himself to Abram. Where faith becomes more and more sight. And of course, this is culminated for us in the wound of Jesus Christ. That wound. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world that I opened with. What does his wounds have to do with this anyway? What, what, what do the wounds of Christ have to do with our wounds right now? I mean, aren't, aren't his wounds the ones that heal us, not our own? Didn't Isaiah say that? Didn't Peter repeat it? By his wounds were healed? Yes, that's absolutely true. Listen, if it were not for Christ's wounds, we would certainly be lost. Christ took on a human body, exercised total human faithfulness for the first time ever, thereby breaking the curse of death. No other way for it to happen. And the one who comes to Christ, for the one who comes to Christ, his pierced, wounded hands will hold you unshakably all the way through death into true life. The sting of death is gone because his wounded hands are on you and nothing's going to change that when you come to him. He's holding you. But he leaves none of you as you are. Remember what he's always doing. Remember what you're for from the pages of Genesis 1 and 2. He is forming you by degrees into what you will be with him eternally. The cross, his wounds, gather you in, secure you as one of God's own children so that the Spirit's lifelong refining work can begin. You ever wonder why Christ says to his disciples, you've got to take up your own cross and follow me. I think I mentioned this on the Good Friday service. There's that old hymn. 
Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. It's the glorious you that he has in mind. His nail-pierced hands are holding on to you as you go through your formation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.